each other. He's a friend from work. <laughs> you had me at hello. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. Okay, this is how I went. All right? You have my curiosity. Now you have my attention. This is the way. This is the way. Welcome back to Final Take, a conversation podcast about movies and a director that honestly just likes to make ridiculously depressing films. Uh, I'm Ethan Zemi. I'm Austin Davis. Today on the show, our director of the month is finally, finally, finally Darren Aronofsky. And and you all know, Austin, listeners, everybody knows I've been trying to make this happen for a really long time. I've been talking about it forever. And we are lucky enough to be joined by our, our guest of honor, Matt Scott is back to talk Darren Aronofsky with us. What's up, Matt? Welcome to the show. Hey, Ethan. Hey, Austin. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, really picked uh, picked one to roll the trumpet and the red carpet, and let's really end one of these on a bang with just a really happy-go-lucky set of bell. <laughs> yeah, we figured let's, let's pick the happiest, most delightful director that we could possibly choose, and let's do a director of the month on that. And this is where we've landed. I mean, technically, like the... <laughs> We we posted like what two months ago like yeah, who should ago. I be who should be our next director of the month and then like the audience picked Darren Aronofsky, Darren Aronofsky yeah, second they did I was blown away and mm. we put Aronofsky against James Cameron and you were like James Cameron has this locked yeah, up he... like lock and barrel toasted mm-hmm. Aronofsky wins uh who who wins for you Matt Scott uh James Cameron Darren Aronofsky total total like just not related to anything but just randomly pick who wins. I mean, Jesus, Michael Bay with more funding and the other is like if your art house emo coffee drinking friend <laughs> somehow decided to turn his like personal journal into <laughs> million dollar movie franchises. I, I can't even put him in the same room. I don't know if they shake hands if they see each other at the Oscars. No. There's no way. No, they fist bump. They, they're fist bumpers. Okay. See, I could, I could go with that. I could totally see a more like they lock gazes from across the room and they just acknowledge that each other exists, but they know they're not allowed to be seen together or in the same circle. Just we, not allowed. Are we talking about like James Cameron is like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio uh, <laughs> in Great Gatsby with like the wine glass from Bless afar? You, like, hi, hello. Yeah, this is me. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, Listen, so on the show today, we're going to we're gonna talk about Darren Aronofsky, obviously. We're going to talk about all of his movies. We're going to talk about our, our favorites, what uh, his Mount Rushmore look like, uh, might look like, what his most disturbing film is, all kinds of things. I've got a lot of tiny takes. I'm sure Austin has some tiny takes as well. We'll, we'll find we'll out. See. But before we started, I wanted to talk about one piece of news. It's not really earth-shattering. It's not really groundbreaking, but mm-hmm. I felt it necessary to talk about because we do only have three episodes left. We, we only mm. have two after this. And, and this this movie, that the news came out about Joker, okay? And we started our podcast talking about Joker. It's mm. like one of, if not the first episode that we ever did. It's not our first. It's pretty close to our first. It had to be like two or three <laughs> or five or something like that. But news is out that, that Todd Phillips is reportedly co-writing a Joker sequel based on a Hollywood reporter um, like report and, and Todd Phillips's lawyer saying that he's at least in the midst of a deal. How, do, how, are, we, how are we feeling about this, everybody? Are we pro-Joker sequel or anti? Matt, you want to go first? What are your I'll, thoughts? I'll totally go first. As someone who considered Joker to be another very pleasant, just uncut <laughs> gems style uh, comfortability film for me, uh, I think the world needs more of that. And all joking aside, it's not an easy movie at all, but the emotions evoked and really the zeitgeist around like societal acceptance of what Joker was, um, I think it's, I would love to see more. Let me just put it that way. I, would, I, would, I wouldn't enjoy seeing more, but I would love to see more. It's not something that like keeps you up at night where you're like, I, I need more Joker in my life, but you know, if it's there, you'll take it kind of a thing. I need more Joaquin Phoenix in my life for sure. Yeah. Um, Every, everybody does. So if we can get him to be involved, I will feel much better about the nature of this project. Okay. 
and and Austin pro or against? I think I know where you stand on this. Where do you think? What? I think you're against because sequels are just dicey as it is, and Joker is pretty dicey as it is. We're all very opinionated right here at this table with our Joker thoughts. I'm, I'm not saying we're very different, but we're all very opinionated. So that's your final final take. <laughs> uh, you be correct. Yeah, ah, yeah. No, I, I say leave it. Leave it. As. We, we've had one good movie. Like yeah. I I look at the history of Todd Phillips and his sequels, particularly of not the ideal. particularly the <laughs> Hangover series. Um, just a copy and paste type story um i don't want that to happen i think that it you can very much tarnish a Mm -hmm. a, like a series if you continue on with it or um tarnish the first one because you made a sequel Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna say don't do it now with joker one uh 11 oscar nominations two Mm -hmm. oscar wins one being for joaquin phoenix love to see it over a billion dollars at the box office first rated r whatever comic book movie right to to be a over a billion dollars mm-hmm. um now i'll throw you another curveball since you're against it um and, and matt chime in as well if we get a a continuation of the arthur flex story are you in it or are you are you out or or i guess putting it another way if we had to have a second one do you want it to be a continuation? Do you want more Joaquin Phoenix as Arthur Fleck? Or should we go in a different direction? And should Todd Phillips write a brand new story for a brand new character that somehow ties in? What I do you mean, think? I mean, me personally, I feel like it would have to... If you're going to do it, you're going to be following Joaquin's Arthur Fleck. Like, mm-hmm. But that's just my perception of it. I don't know. Matt, what's your thoughts? No, I, I completely agree. And something really not to... Not to poo-poo your thought on <laughs> favorite that is uh, in sports. It's taken a lot when a team is down by a lot of points and they need, you know, and they want to win. So to have the greatest comeback in a sports game of any kind, you need to get down by the most amount <laughs> first. And even if Todd's, uh, even if we don't like their track record, right? We're we're a little. Um, it's a little dicey there, especially with. I'm surprised it wasn't like Hangover Four, Electric Boogaloo, or whatever. Like it, <laughs> they really could have milked those. But um, I want to see him try. I think mm-hmm. there are a handful. Just in in the entire oeuvre of film, there are a handful of really good sequels. Mm-hmm. And if you have a character as complex and as I would say viscerally like exposed on camera. As Arthur Fleck, if Joaquin has more in the tank, I I would love to see it. At least the chance to see it. I understand all of your your qualms, your your uh, your worries, uh, and I appreciate that. But as someone who doesn't have their heart in comic book films uh, as much as either of you two, um, mm. I'd say fucking let him try it. Come on, let's see. At least let's see what he does. I mean, when Arthur Fleck comes out comes out on a Harley and chases down a you know, an F-15 or whatever, a la Top Gun, then we'll know we were wrong. But right, right. Yeah. I, like the, I like the chance. Yeah, I, I like the chance. And and I say, let's gun it. I do, I do agree with you, Matt, that, you know, if Joaquin has it in the tank, let's let him ride. But that's a, I feel like that's a dangerous game. Considering all of the, the, um, the history, the whatever you want to call it, surrounding the Joker, you know, attribute name mm-hmm. um acting choices i just think it's a dangerous game to go for for a number two and and joaquin we already don't know if he's if he's okay like we like we we don't know if his life is if, it, if he's serious if he's all right like he's one of those guys where it's just impossible to put the pen on like that so um but it seems to me like him and todd phillips w- would have that relationship where they can be candid with each other and and hopefully uh, know what they're doing moving forward I'm pro Joker too. Fucking let's go. That's <laughs> let's go. That is one of the one of the. Um, I mean, there are, there are very few movie experiences I remember like watching. Watching. Um, did 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 you and I see it first together, or did I see it with Colin? Um, Colin, well, another good friend of the show. You, me, and Colin saw it. We all saw it together. Yeah, but I think I that just, might have been my second time watching it. I just remember being bud blown away just blown away by the mm. by the final scene the big twist that we get um 
you know, well, this is what you what you fucking deserve. And I just I literally stood up out of my chair. I lost it. Give me more. That's yeah. what I say. Give me more. Yeah, Ethan at work <laughs> would be like, hey, Austin, I need to talk to you real fast. Oh, and like, I'd text like, me and yeah. like we'd be like in the hallway, be like, so Joker, I just can't, can't stop thinking about it. So insanity. Mm-hmm. So I say, give me more, even though, yeah, even though Todd Phillips not ideal. So let's move on and talk about Darren Aronofsky real quick. I just want to run through his his filmography here, so we have a base, we know what we're dealing with, mm. uh, and then let's open the conversation up. To, to whatever we want to talk about with Darren Aronofsky. Very complex uh, director, I feel like. A lot of kind of things go into it. No. You've got, yeah, 100%. It's not complex at all. <laughs> very if simple, very ever seen, Yeah, if you've ever seen his movies, are straight to the point. You know. understand exactly know. what he <laughs> means. 100% right in your face, here's the message. <laughs> Pie, 1998. Requiem for a Dream, 2000. The Fountain, 2006. Six-year hiatus, that's... I don't know, something to talk about. The Wrestler in 08, Black Swan in 2010, Noah in 2014, Mother in 2017, and then he's got two films in post-production currently. He's got The Whale, which is about a reclusive English teacher suffering from severe obesity who attempts to reconnect with his estranged teenage daughter for one last chance at redemption. Uh, So there's that, that exists, and that is Brendan Fraser in the lead role. So Let's go. Let's go with Brendan Fraser. And Tarzan then, himself. And then the second one, Adrift, uh, is a fishing boat discovered, um, or a fishing boat like deckhand discovers an abandoned yacht with a strange distress call. The deckhand agrees to take uh, control of it while it's towed into port, but soon discovers why it is called a ghost ship. Only person on the cast list so far, Jared Leto. And you love to see right. Darren Aronofsky and Jared Leto get back together <laughs> 22 years later. Yeah. Um. Also, I mean, this also is the premise of the movie Ghost Ship. <laughs> are, are we sure about that? Though? Is that really? I mean, pretty much. <laughs> Ghost Ship, and and IMDb has Ghost Ship in quotes, so like the yeah. direct stealing. Um, initial thoughts, uh, Matt, on on Darren Aronofsky. Just out in the open, what do you think? How are you feeling? Where do we stand? Just so we know where you're at in this conversation. I am so glad it's been sunny in Portland the last couple of days so I could turn off all my electronic devices and walk and just stand in the sun <laughs> and experience nature. Um, I don't think I've ever had such a physical reaction to someone's films as I have with these. And to think that I saw Requiem for a Dream when I was like 14. Now God go help back. you. Dude, I... You know, I had a friend. He had the 22-year-old stoner older brother with all the glow-in-the-dark felt drawings on his walls. And he used to stay up late, and we'd watch Fight Club and and this, Requiem for a Dream. It just – anyway, not exactly uh, – The Game, actually, that movie. Okay. Yeah. Classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so I uh, – I found myself needing to take breaks. This was not easy. Other directors, especially for re-research, um, it felt good. You're like, I know kind of what's going to happen, but let's really assess it. With these, it's each one of these films is a fucking brick wall that gets smashed through. Whether it's you that's getting smashed, seriously, you're either the sledgehammer or the brick wall if, yeah. in, in most of his movies. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I just I needed some walks. I needed some breaks. This guy's a heavy, heavy director. These are not easy yeah. topics to talk about. Not easy movies at all. Austin, where yeah. are you at? Yeah, I mean, I, I so I haven't seen all of them. I've I have not seen Pie and I've not seen The Wrestler, um, but I've oh, seen you everything else. Seen the Wrestler. Yeah. Oh no. It's, I know it's not free on Prime. It is. It's so. free on Prime right now. Um, but no, uh, for the most part, yeah. I mean, it. it he dives into your psyche. He dives into um, different psychological disorders and addiction and all these different things. So, like, I mean, I'm all for that. Um, being an old uh, counseling uh, master's degree program person, so I've seen those. And it, he definitely takes these these themes of psychological disorders, and then he's like, huh, let's amplify it. Let's yeah. go. Let's put it on, um, put it on, on steroids. Yeah, and so it's just interesting to see, um, just coming from that background. Like, um, I mean, I'll admit, I, I watched a Black Swan for the first time yesterday. Oh, let's go. Let's uh-huh. get a raw reaction. <laughs> well, no, I, I, under, like, I understood everything that was happening in the moment and yeah. stuff like that, so it wasn't surprising to me. The movie itself was not like, 
like this I'm sure shock it was. and awe. It's, it's never you're never surprised. Yeah, I was like, okay, yep. This, cool, cool, cool. Yep, she's a 28 year old woman that uh is starting to get like senses yeah. of OCD and schizophrenia, which is very common in women that age. Cool. All right. Yep. Got it. We're good. Yep. <laughs> no qualms. Wait, I yeah. thought she was turning into a swan. <laughs> I, yeah, I was yeah, yeah. pretty sure it was about the evolution of how humans can turn into birds. That's what I was aware of at this point in time. Cool. Yep. I'm a very literal movie consumer. That's why I, I thoroughly enjoyed Noah. I thought he made a great boat. Russell yeah, Crowe yeah, made a yeah. great fucking boat. Nice to see him reprise his role for Master and Commander, too. Yeah. Yeah, big time. Uh, okay, cool. So we'll talk about Black Swan, absolutely, since since you, mm-hmm. you just saw it. I I fuck with Black Swan. I like it a lot. I, I think it's great. Um, I have not seen um, Pi. I have not seen The Fountain. I have not seen Noah. So I've I've not seen a, a few of these. Um, are you are you a clean sheet here, Matt? Or which ones have you not seen? So I have not seen Fountain. The okay. Fountain. So I should have seen Noah back in 2014. And let me tell you this this brief story because this is back when. I, for whatever reason, was listening to the radio one day and we were as Molly and I were driving and um, they, you know, did their little contest. Would it be caller number whatever, 12? And you'll win some tickets to go see Noah. And I did it. I, I called in. I was caller number 12. And you know how they ask you to like repeat their their Logan or like slogan or phrase or whatever? Yeah. Literally couldn't do it. Like I was tongue tied. I was something in me was like, oh, my God, you're on the radio. You should make an ass out of yourself. Uh-huh. Couldn't do it. He gave me the the tickets anyway, even though he didn't play my live, little speech on the radio because I screwed it up so bad. Hmm. Never went to go pick up the tickets. Couldn't do it. Couldn't show my face in the radio station. <laughs> oh, I would have. I would been like, <laughs> screw it. I've already embarrassed myself. I was like, no, I can't be done. And I was like, I was like 19, 20 at the time, so I was I was still like a little self conscious of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. So I should have seen Noah in theaters. That could have really kicked me off on the Aronofsky uh, tour, but unfortunately, yeah. it did not. I don't know if that would have been the one. <laughs> you don't know if that would have done it. I don't for know me. if that one. <laughs> so um, <laughs> let's let's just um, do we want to start with our favorite Aronofsky film, or do we want to kind of build a Mount Rushmore here, or what do we want to tackle first, gentlemen? What should we do? Matt, being the guest, what are your thoughts? Well, I didn't get a chance to rewatch every one of these, so I'm a, I'm going to be a little dusty on a couple, and just from the mm. sounding of uh, the ones we are all enthusiastic about. I think it's, we're going to kind of go in rotation where it'll be two out of three. We'll have, have some really hot takes. So it's been a long time for Black Swan and myself, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to have a lot of hot takes, but I'm ready for The Wrestler. I also haven't seen Mother in quite a bit either, probably since it came out. So I'm not going to yeah. be an expert. But if you want to talk about The Wrestler, you want to talk about Requiem, you want to mm-hmm. talk about Pi, um, those are the ones that stick out. It doesn't even need to be a Mount Rushmore necessarily. Um, I think all of his films, uh, we can talk about Noah too. We should talk about Noah. I, because <laughs> I was about to say, I think all of his films have these really redeeming, like there are oh, seriously redeeming aspects. And I fucking hated that movie. Yeah. I would <laughs> say I Noah is like the bottom of the barrel of his movies. The ones I've, I've seen. Okay. I mean, not gonna make the Mount Rushmore. No, not out of it. Not even close. Not even close. No. If I could punt that, I would punt Listen, it. Listen, see, this is <laughs> I would punt it. This is surprising coming from you because you know who's in Noah. Oh, I'm a Watson, of course I know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I saw the trailer for Noah, and that's all I've seen of it. And I was like, oh, Austin is sure to love this movie. Uh, I've seen it. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> of course you've seen it. She's the my celebrity love of my life. Of course yeah, I've seen it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> okay, so so there's a conversation on Noah. We've co- we've covered Noah. Mm-hmm. Matt, you watched Requiem for a Dream last night. You were texting me about it. Uh, how are you feeling this morning? How are you? Are you still reeling? Like, let's let's just talk Requiem for a few minutes. Okay. Um. I can see in your face you're still pretty fucked up. It is. <laughs> it is so sad. The movie mm-hmm. is immensely sad. I think even in a more modern era. I mean, that movie came out in what 2000? Did we decide? Yeah, yep. 21 years ago. Like that movie can drink, which also that movie shouldn't drink because it's seriously <laughs> a, a dive into drug usage and abuse. And I, w- one of the things I was texting Ethan about when we were talking about this, or at least I was sort of doing my little live tweet thing that I love to do, was <laughs> how I didn't feel like any of the characters had a choice. 
Mm-hmm. I felt like the entire movie and, and really the, the weight of drug addiction and like the driving forces behind money and power mm. um, and even relationships were just little dominoes um, in the film. And, you know, we tick off a couple happy moments pretty early on, like when uh, Harry, so that's Jared Leto's character, Harry's mom goes back to the pawn shop or whatever, the guy on the street selling the, to buy the TV back. And she's mm-hmm. been doing this consistently. I should also say, spoiler alert, the movie opens up with uh, Marlon Wayans and Jared Leto pushing the TV, a TV down the street that he mm-hmm. stole from his mom that he's going to pawn so they can buy some heroin. And it's actually kind of comical. And then the weight that comes through the rest of the movie, you're, you're like, I shouldn't have laughed at that. So the second time I didn't. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. Um, or, or, or additional time. I didn't find it as funny. Um I thought it was incredibly well acted. I thought, God. So when we were talking about Fincher, we talked a lot about the intro to Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Aronofsky's intros are fucking wild also. Like, it's not as... Um, I, I think both Aronofsky and Fincher were experimenting with uh, technology and how that can shape what you see. And I think Fincher used a little bit, like in Fight Club, for example, used a little bit more CGI. But mm. in this, we get these really, in, in, in Requiem, we get a bunch of really awesome uh, quick cuts when they use. Mm. It's not, you don't necessarily, although you do see a needle go into an arm, it's, it's a little bit more stylized and it's this really quick chop, chop, chop effect. But it's like blood vessels moving at the microscopic level and a lighter flicking and every time they drop little bumps of cocaine onto the table, it's it, the sound is registering as a gunshot. So it goes bang, bang, bang. Like as they're dropping this, it's just this really interesting experience um, that I I'm drawing a lot of similarities to fight club. Although fight club makes it look invariably cooler. For some reason, mm-hmm. we just get this really cool feeling about Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. And mm-hmm. in this, I just felt sorry. Even Jennifer Conley, she's beautiful. She's so talented. We start the story with these glimpses of how everyone's going to be okay and it's all going to be fine. And I'm like, this is Aronofsky. This, these are all tragedies. <laughs> don't believe it. Yeah. Like pump your brakes. Don't. We'll talk about silver linings when we get to the wrestler, but don't expect good things to happen to these people, even if they make the right choices. Yeah, hundred percent. And I replied to you and I was like, yeah, it's, it's like they are all trapped in this cage and they all think that they can, they can reach the set of keys that are like just beyond the bars and they're all so close and they can make those decisions, but they're not getting out. Like they, mm. they, they are, are stuck in what they are. I watched this movie for the first time back when we first started this podcast, because I had made the commitment like, okay, look, if I'm going to do a podcast about movies, I, I have to watch some of these movies that like everybody says you have to watch yeah. um, with Requiem being, being one of those. I was not, in the right space. I wasn't in the right film mentality. Like I was not aware of what I was about to watch. Mm -hmm. And especially with, with Leto waking up with no arm and, and understanding the, the deep impact of all of these decisions that have been made up until this point Mm -hmm. and seeing them actually come to fruition like that was bananas. And I was like, I I can't sleep, not going to sleep. So I don't think I went to bed. I'm sure I went to bed at some point, but I don't, I mean, that movie is crazy for me. Yeah. Can you understand Ethan, why we would be so hesitant to rewatch this movie knowing full well, the emotions that it's going to trigger. I want to just call out one scene. So we, and we should talk about sound as well for this film, but uh, right after the scene where Leto wakes up and his arm has been amputated, the next cut is to Marlon Wayne's who is still mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. whatever rehabilitation, drug rehabilitation work camp or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he curls up on his side and he starts crying and we get a superimposed image that cuts back to the only childhood memory we get from his character, which is of him cuddling up into his mom and the, as a child. And, and the two images are laid over each other and his body is like the perfect size meeting the size of him as a kid wishing only in that moment to snuggle his mom and fuck you. If I didn't have tears streaming down my face, <laughs> like Aronofsky wins again. <laughs> how could he, uh, Austin, what, how do you, how are you doing with this movie? You said it's yeah. been a long time since you rewatched it. Uh, I mean, it, I, 
It's be, not uh, an easy like rewatch. No. Like it's not one of those movies where you can sit down and be like, yeah, I'm gonna watch this again. I'm gonna put myself through this. Oh no, again. I, I've done that with I this can't. with this movie. No, <laughs> I did I that. No, so the first time I watched it actually was with uh at the time I was dating this girl and we were like, let's turn on a movie. We both oh, had no God. idea. Oh no. Um, so she really loved the movie The Fountain. So okay. like, okay, let's go with same director like awesome great the roots, yeah. yeah we i'm like we're in my dorm room in college and like with the door wide open people would like come in and out and i'm just like sitting there i'm like this is the <laughs> most right. intense movie i've seen in a long ass time yeah like i was not expecting there to be a like basically prostitution type style like scene um i was not expecting a mom to be freaking out over diet pills and all this stuff so um no i thought the movie was great i would like i'm gonna say it like requiem is probably my favorite darren aronofsky movie okay um just in ter- because it it makes such an impact yeah um i think like the culturally i think it it's something that people remember mm-hmm. like like 10 years from now you're still going to remember this movie um so that's why i'm going to say it's my my favorite um also i'm going to say it probably jared leto's best movie that he's ever done wow that's my hot take that's on big this one. that's really big. um i don't know how that like i mean he's been in a few things <laughs> have you seen him in Zack snyder's justice league yes because of the two seconds he's in that movie are sublime again i'm gonna <laughs> stick with what i just had stated um i uh, so i would say that that is probably his best role okay i uh, do have a little tiny take for yeah, yeah, yeah. give yeah. me the tiny take um the tiny take is that <laughs> i don't know why but darren aronofsky was like hey to the to the crew like for 30 days no sugar and no sex so that you understand these like cravings i'm wow. like i'm like 30 30 days without sex okay that's okay <laughs> yeah welcome to my teenage life we're good i i could not go could you go 30 days no sugar no sex matt no I won't tell you which one is tougher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, keep that keep that under the hood. Look, Jared Leto's gonna be in House of Gucci, so I'm already I'm already like really really big on that. Um, so did you what, see Dallas Buyers Club? Really, another great date movie. Yeah, I've I, I, I've actually not seen it. I know how great it is. I just haven't seen it. Haven't it's another one it. of those movies. It's another yeah. thing where you have any sort like if you were trying to explain Requiem for a Dream to a friend to get them to watch it. You can't, like, mm-hmm. I cannot sum up major or even minor plot points mm-hmm. that don't inevitably point to the downfall of every character involved. No, I find a really happy person, and I tell them to go watch it because I'm a little <laughs> jealous of their happiness. You're like, yeah, we just gotta bring that down. A <laughs> yeah, just, just bring it down. Hey, you know what movie would be good? <laughs> this is a great movie. And talking about kind of the two points you brought up, Austin, pushing the envelope isn't isn't that the the widespread goal? of making art of making movies of making cinema of making film if you want mm. to scorsese it like isn't that the point is like you're you're getting your vision across and you're pushing the envelope to create something of of significance yeah. something of remembrance right and requiem solves that like that that's mm. puts a big check mark next to that yeah um now you said your favorite uh aronofsky film matt hit me with your favorite aronofsky film right now no lead up, just give it to me. <laughs> it's gonna start heavy. <laughs> I'm not gonna say Noah. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> okay. Whew. I figured. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting real hot over yeah. there. Yeah. I. Uh, there is something about pie that I just can't get out of my head. And wow, I feel like maybe that's the synopsis for the movie. Man can't get thing out of his head until he does <laughs> get the thing yeah, out of his yeah. head. Um, no, but I, I think mine is actually the wrestler. I, I I really do. I will perform an exhaustive rewatch of everything just to make sure that I'm not calling this incorrectly. But I think the transition in his styles. Now I haven't seen the fountain, but his transition in styles. Just if you look at Requiem and you look at the wrestler, it Requiem almost feels staged, and a lot of that is due to the fact that the movie takes place on a soundstage. And you can feel it. I mean, a lot of that is an intentional sense of, like, false location. Mm. Uh, The studio 
where the infomercial is taking place, mm-hmm. where Shooter McGavitt or whatever from Happy Gilmore. I always <laughs> forget his name. Christopher, Christopher uh, McDonald. Thank you. You only know that because he's going to be Secret in Marvel. Secret Invasion, baby. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, but anyway, so that is so that is supposed to feel like she's in her living room. Then the living room kind of blows open, and there's all the actual people dancing. The wrestler, mm-hmm. while a lot of a lot of it could have been shot on a set. My God, if it doesn't feel like the mm-hmm. St. John's Swamp Meet Community Center back room, you know, mm-hmm. pushing strollers aside while he's taping up his wrists, right? Like getting ready to go out there and make his little bit of money in front of aging fans. And I just felt the character tragedy um, so much more. And maybe it's, God, we should talk about his the tropes of addiction or just obsession in his movies because the inability to achieve that obsession is kind of what drives these characters. It's like mm. your, fatal, your, your fatal flaw or your tragic flaw is that you continually think you can succeed. Yep. And that is such a depressing mindset to think that your drive – you know, what makes Mickey Rourke such a talented old wrestler and now in his later years trying to kind of hold on to that. What makes him take, you know, 14 staples in the back oh. in the middle of an exhibition as a character is this strive to be okay, to be mm. well and to be rich again. Yep. And it just well, doesn't work. No, Nothing works. Just, listen, ever. I haven't seen... I haven't seen Noah in a long time. I can't remember the last 20 minutes, but does the boat make it? Yeah. Does it? I believe so. I, hey, I've right. not seen Noah. I mean, it, it, there, he was following the Bible, so... <laughs> there, say, no, in the yeah. Bible, it absolutely survives. Yeah. My joke there being, if you told me Darren Aronofsky made a movie about Noah and the Ark, I would yeah. tell you, betcha the fucker sinks it. <laughs> like I would put money on the table that the boat sinks at the end of that movie and that this is an allegory for how mm-hmm. no matter how hard you work, uh, mm-hmm. God is merciless and I hope you can swim. No, I, I, I do get your point, though, with obsessive characters. I mean, every single one of his characters, if we look at every movie, it's mm-hmm. pretty much a person that is obsessed with accomplishing something or doing something. Um, we see Black Swan. Yep. Um, her drive to become the, the perfect the ballerina. We see um, uh, Requiem, same thing. Each person, they they have the obsession of getting more money, being skinny, blah, so yep. on and so forth. Um, you can yeah. even look at Mother as well and, say, yeah. and saying the, the writer mm. and, and the creator, his obsession with continually creating mm. is causing this this problem his downfall yeah so i mean i i agree, 100% agree with you matt like this is his style he's like <laughs> let me find a script that has obsessive characters so noah being obsessed with building this boat and so on and so forth and blah 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 so why do why and, and i'm not a director so i don't know so i'm asking this question to 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 you all and trying to see what we think why do we think that certain directors in this case Aronofsky chooses to focus solely on being like obsessive characters like why is that his go-to why does he keep coming back to telling that story is it because he can tell that story really well is it because he's lived something similar like I don't know enough about Aronofsky and Mm -hmm. and why do we think that he can't break this this rut that he always is telling the same trope of of failed obsession well, I think it's because it's a like very humanistic because every single one of his stories are completely different, right? But we all can relate to an aspect of that obsession. We've yeah. all been there. I think that we've all in life in general, we've been that person's like, I'm gonna obsess over this every day. Like I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna try to be the richest person. Like so we all have that drive somewhere in us. Mm-hmm. It's an innate, innate in us. This is who we are. So for a director to be able to be like, let's take a script that has a character like this, that you, because you can relate to being obsessed. I don't care who you are. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so there's an aspect of that person that you can relate to that. So it's yeah, he's just taking from that. He's like, let's do this. Yeah, totally. Matt, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I have such a big problem with. Um, okay, so Mike, this was a go-to line. I can't remember if I said it on the podcast or not, but 
I don't love PG-13 movies. And when people say, what? I'm like, real life isn't PG-13. Like, in real life, when you get shot, don't go, oh, gosh, darn it, right in my kisser. Like, no, you got shot in the fucking ass, and it fucking hurts. I just, I find, especially action films, just, I'll watch the big blockbusters, but it drives me crazy because they're not real. I think every one of these films, like you were saying, Austin, has someone in it with a real drive, a real obsession, Mm -hmm. a real desire. And whether or not, you know, whether that's to score heroin or, you know, be a a relevant wrestler or figure out why this number is eating the inside of your head, like the the actual act of that obsession is totally human. You're you're completely Mm -hmm. right. And I think that's identifiable. I think Aronofsky is trying to tell fantastic stories in a realistic way and put Mm -hmm. a very like real world feel to it. Um, until he isn't. <laughs> yeah. Because we can't really prove that Noah, you know, that the arc was real, right? So we're fudging some of that realism. But with the wrestler, that, that I mean, my God, and a lot of that is Mickey Rourke, I think. Um, just a perfect casting, perfect time in his yeah. career. Also, like the the symmetry between his actual career, like as Mickey Rourke, and then as Ronnie the Ram. Mm. Uh, it just, yeah, you, you feel for it. It feels real. And the, the conclusions of these films also feel like real outcomes for uh, the yeah. setup. So I think maybe uh, some of Aronofsky's drive here is to tell uh, these absolutely fantastic obsessions, and I mean fantastic like fantasy, these, these fantastic mm-hmm. obsessions in an identifiably realistic way. Yeah, I think all of that yeah. is super legit. I think, um, every, yeah, all of them live in that fantasy world that you're describing here. Like, every single one of his characters just, let's let's create this world that I have that's perfect for me, and yep. I'm going to obsess to get there. But the way that they do it is self-destructive. 100% agree. I think uh, The Wrestler, two Oscar nominations, best performance by an actor in a leading role for Mickey Rourke, best uh, performance in an actress in a supporting role, Marissa mm-hmm. Tomei. Um, Aunt May. Aunt May. Yeah, so Aunt May was <laughs> Aunt May was was shaking it before she was in Spider Man. So I think I think let's let's continue the conversation and talk about the wrestler. Austin, I know you haven't seen it. Yeah, so I can't um, give any input. In so this. so sorry. Yeah, I mean, j- you know, say whatever you want to say. It's totally valid and uh, it's 100% true. You know, so, Mickey Rourke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Mickey Rourke. So I, I think. I think to I've got to go with I've got to agree with you, Matt. I think The Wrestler is my favorite Aronofsky film, and that and it just it edges out Black Swan, but I think it's the the realism of it. I think it's the fact that it's identifiable and it's such a common um, theme, obsession, issue that um, people of X fame have, right? Of of I was once this, and and we see in The Wrestler. He is still trying to live that life outside of wrestling with um, his his little date with Marissa Tomei in the bar and, and saying, like, the 80s, like, they don't make them like they used to. The 90s fucking sucked. Like, trying to live in that stage of life in any aspect that's humanly possible um, was – it's just identifiable. We can, we can feel the empathy for someone in that situation. And I specifically called out to you, Matt, last night. I texted you. I was like – why do I care so much that Mickey Rourke is working in a deli in a little swap meet community and is so like emotional? Like, why am I so emotional about this? Why do I get like all choked up when he actually is happy for like two seconds in his life and scooping potato salad for somebody who doesn't give two shits what is happening. He just wants his potato salad, but Mickey Rourke's like, go along, go get it. Like I'll throw it to you. Like how about them goddamn cowboys? And it's like, why, 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 like, why do I care so much? This is phenomenal. So I thought it was excellent. Um, the only other thing I've seen Mickey Rourke in is Iron Man 2, obviously. So he's in, he's in Sin City. He's in, um, Man of God. He's in a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but I thought he was excellent in The Wrestler. I, Austin, I, I, I think you should watch I it. I mean, eventually I will watch it. <laughs> get it's, to it. It's free on, Prime, or I mean, I pay for it. Free of, yeah, technically. You, you pay for the Prime. <laughs> um, I I do think I do think the wrestler is good. Um, deserve nominations for sure. Um, I think what's 
what's aged the best. And, and I talked about this, uh, I think maybe last week, maybe a couple of weeks ago in terms of Dave Bautista and Blade Runner 2049 with his tiny little glasses. Mm-hmm. Any time you can get a really large gentleman Wearing to wear tiny really glasses. tiny glasses, <laughs> I think we've peaked as a society. I think that is what we, what, what, what we have been striving to accomplish and, and Aronofsky does it in the wrestler. We see it several times with Thank you, Rourke. Put on those little tiny glasses. See, I just I love it. I just wonder if like, like if a normal size human like yeah. were to grab those glasses, it'd just be like a normal size glasses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like right. it's just it's, they're not tiny glasses. They're just normal glasses. <laughs> they're just actually regular yeah. glasses that look that tiny. Yeah. Um. And what's age the worst? I, Marissa Tomei stripping? Maybe I don't know. Wait, I, what? That, there's a scene like that. I don't know. I'm watching it later. Lock <laughs> it up. We're watching it right now. Uh, Matt, good? No good. I mean, at at what point is it socially acceptable to acknowledge that Marissa Tomei may have been wearing fake nipples? Yeah, you know, that's oh, tough reality. We got to live watching with. Watching it tonight. <laughs> that's tough reality. I will say that I was watching it with my AirPods on last night, and my wife was doing her homework, and she um, got done with her homework and looked towards the television at the exact <laughs> moment that Marissa Tomei was like, full on body stripping right towards the camera where you just get the full shot and she's like um what are you watching and i was like oh don't worry it's just marissa tomei stripping it's totally like we're totally good don't worry about it it's and i literally told her like it's a movie about a wrestler who can't be a wrestler anymore that's the whole movie like don't worry about it that's literally literally it um and it's such an out of tone thing for aronofsky to do something that maybe um um emotionally calm i i don't know if you if you kind of understand what i'm trying to say if it's not in your face it's not abrasive it's not quick cuts it's we're traveling through every emotion that he has at a very realistic and slow pace i liked it a lot that was great you should watch it austin i will <laughs> I, especially now that i know um, uh, <laughs> um let's talk about a movie that i know that you both of you haven't seen just because i think that there are fans of it that i think that um that will be disappointed if we don't briefly talk about okay, it okay um it is the fountain uh so have you have you both seen the movie like cloud atlas oh, fuck yeah I, I fuck with cloud atlas so hard dude I, okay it, have we gone a year and a half and not talked about cloud atlas hold yeah. the fuck on that is one of my favorite books of all time okay dude and Phenomenal. like David Mitchell, anyway, it, it is like heart wrenching and beautiful. And if you've mm. read the book or if like Ethan, you've watched the movie, like maybe two or three times, it all fucking makes sense. And it's so great. Yeah. So yes. Good. I know it's widely considered one of the absolute shit can yes. movies of all time. Mm. Um, it's bad. It, it's tough, especially the future speak. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But the, it is a book. Oh, my God. It's one of my favorites, without a doubt. I can't believe I we you, watched the song without talking about it. You hit a board. I, 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 did, I didn't know. apologist. <laughs> okay, well. So, continue. Continuing. Um, so, if you like a story like that, where it's like a, a semi-love like story that is um, interwoven between decades, um, different aspects, that's the fountain. Um, Sounds great. I've seen the trailer. It looks really interesting. Yeah, it's a it's a like a art house. I would say it's what Cloud Atlas was trying to up like try to aim towards when it came to a story where it's like you have different generations of the same love story. The same people essentially. Yeah. Gotcha. So with that being said, see it, watch it. It's good. I, I like I enjoyed it. It's been a minute since I've seen it, so I can't like speak to details because honestly it but yeah it's been a while yeah <laughs> so um but it's a good one definitely recommend it yeah how do, how do we feel about and, and doing research for this show i mm. i kind of hit up the aronofsky wikipedia page now him and rachel weiss were together slash engaged from 2001 to 2010 mm. this movie comes out in 06 how do we how do we feel about directors creating movies with their on a wife partner loved one at the helm do you think that makes things easier do you think it makes it harder i feel like it'd be weird i don't know i feel like you're gonna try to segue this into a different movie (laughs) no no i'm I'm literally asking i the and and one of the main reasons i'm asking is because rachel weiss is in the upcoming just excellent sure to bound be great movie black widow so i'm curious 
I don't know, Matt, do you think it would be easier? Because like you'd have this general understanding of each other, like you're that close to each other, or like Aronofsky's just sitting there like, no, Rachel, you've done this wrong again. And now you get to sleep on the couch. Like, what are we doing? That's a great, that is a really great question. And I can only speculate, honestly, <laughs> but it reminds me kind of like uh, when I was a kid, I played soccer and the coach's kid was on our team. And mm-hmm. the coach was always particularly tough on his own kid, but his own kid could also get away with whatever the fuck he wanted. So it's like this, this thing where, are you being an objective boss, right? Like, are you requesting the same things from them? How much time are they given after or before shots? Like, do they get preferential treatment? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it would be tough unless it was an artistic um, sort of melding. Like, like if, if she at some point was like, oh, just his craft, the way he goes about you know, my favorite part was, oh, wait, I almost mentioned the thing that Austin brought up about abstaining from sugar and sex. <laughs> if she's like, I really loved the part where we couldn't be intimate and we couldn't have sweets uh, in the middle of our movie, but obviously a different film. Um, I, don't know, I think personally, I would much rather not work with my partner uh, mm-hmm. on a million dollar project like this. Yeah, I'd have to pass for me as well. Yeah. That's can't be done. Uh, and- I mean, but I look at it's successfully done uh, John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. Shit, that's true. That's really true. And speaking of sequels, like I know we started this conversation saying sequels rarely live up mm-hmm. in terms of Joker. Quiet Place too. Yeah. Banger. Matt, Phenomenal. banger. We just letting you know. <laughs> Wait, is, has Quiet Place 2 already come out? Yeah. Yes, Matt. In uh, theaters only. Oh, yeah. It is excellent. Go listen to our podcast. <laughs> Go check it out. <laughs> Um, let's, let's continue the conversation on to another movie that I have explicitly said that I want to talk about, which this is where I figured the transition was going because Darren Aronofsky and Jennifer Lawrence were in a relationship together. Bang. That's where I got it. They were only in a relationship together for like a year. But this still, but still, uh, it was, they started dating right after this movie basically released Mm -hmm. and um so i can assume like during filming i you know grew closer together um let's talk about mother came out in 2017 it's a it's a drama horror mystery this is probably the least understood of any aronofsky film with the most critical of reviews or thoughts or whatever the case may be Mm -hmm. um matt do you want to go first and give your thoughts on, on mother i know it's been a while but I'm just trying to gauge or what we're feeling with Mother because I had texted you, Matt, and I have already told you, Austin, as well. I watched this movie a few days ago. It is, without a doubt, bar none, the most psychologically traumatizing film I have ever seen in my life. I was so messed up watching this movie. I don't know that there's much more I can add except for that, <laughs> honestly. What the fuck was that third act is all I'll say. That's my problem. Yeah. So that the third act is what really like I was totally okay up until the third act, like kind of tracking, basically like thinking like, okay, we're getting this movie through Jennifer Lawrence's like point of view with this house, like questions here and there, like why is she connected to the house? Like why why does um Javier what's his name? Javier Bardem, why does he keep leaving? Like why is that Harris here? These normal movie questions. Mm-hmm. But then act three strikes and it's just like we go from literally nothing to absolute pandemonium and no, and it's not unconnected to anything in any way. Or did you feel the same Austin? I, I mean, it felt very chaotic. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, it, this isn't a movie that I personally care too much about. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put it. that out there. Like <laughs> I would say that it goes Noah and then mother for me. Wow. Okay. So, and I, I haven't seen Pi, and I haven't seen look, The Wrestler, and I, I, yeah. Look, I'm on the IMDb page right now, and it says that the, the only review that I can see without, like, clicking, like, look for more mm-hmm. reviews, 10 out of 10 stars, Aronofsky's mother will be hated by many, but loved by a precious few. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure we're all in the many category. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't think I qualify for the precious few. Um, I really just wanted to, to kind of talk about the the allegory aspect and how Aronofsky uses his films as 
massive gaping like allegories. Mm. So the allegory for mother being um, mother earth and, and God and creation and Adam and Eve mm. with Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer and um, things like that, that we get throughout the film. And then with the third act being absolute, you know, pandemonium of, of, of humans not recognizing their, their gratefulness for mother earth and things like that. Mm. Um, now, I think obviously it's really prevalent in a lot of his other movies like Black Swan and whatnot. Um, mm. th- is this a trope or is this something that lets you know, like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely watching an Aronofsky film, either like a biblical um, allegory or just like an allegory in general of like, oh, this totally means something else. I don't know. To I, Matt, I don't know if you want to chime in first or not. Um, no, you go ahead. Yeah, I have, I, I have a thought, but it's not exactly in that line. So you please go first. Yeah, I, like to me, I it felt too forced of an allegory. Like okay. it, it was just too much. Like okay, to me, I'm like I'm watching this. I'm like this is you're not like you're being with allegories and stuff like that. I want a lot more subtlety to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're trying to make me like you're basically throwing it at me and you're like, Hey, this is what I'm trying to talk about. And I'm like, cool. Like you're not making me think you're, you're handing this to me. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I just didn't care too much about that. For me as a person that enjoys watching films and trying to figure things out, um, you lost me from the very, like from that. I'm like at the very beginning, I'm like, Oh, like what, what's this movie about? And then it kind of continues on. I'm like, Oh, not really caring. Yeah. Matt, go with your thought. So almost all of the movie takes place in that house, doesn't it? Yeah. All of it, yeah. We see the outside of the house, but we don't ever go outside of the yes. house. We don't ever get out. Okay, so that to me is such an interesting constraint for a movie with a full runtime. Um, I know we recently, Ethan, you and I just talked about uh, I'm trying to end things. I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah. I'm thinking of ending things. Thank you. Another Weird movie, movie. Netflix, actually, right? yeah. pretty similar to this, just in, in mm-hmm. my initial remembrance of the, the two side by side. It's just that this film is trying very hard, like you said, Austin, to put your nose in it. Like, hey, this is biblical. See this? Look at this right here on this page. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like you're, yep. you're at this line. You're at this part. I think it felt a little strong. I also think... I mean, read the cast out loud again and tell me that that's not going to be a good movie. Like, it's crazy to me mm-hmm. to see that many talented people involved with um, something so disjointed and so, um, I don't want to say unbelievable, but just like, at certain points, it feels ri- kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Right, and this is just intense. Just really intense. And, and, and I'll end the conversation saying... When the um, when Javier Bardem finally takes her baby away from her mm. at the very end and delivers it to his worshippers, adorn whatever his followers, and they and then we see that he actually doesn't have it in his hand and they are like pushing the baby along. Um, I don't know if it's because I'm a parent or or have a soul or whatever, but like when that baby's neck snaps, I I literally. <laughs> was this fucking close to turning the movie off. Yeah. It was too much for me. And in the the two minutes or the three minutes that followed that of uh, them eating the baby's body and kicking the shit out of Jennifer Lawrence, like I was so disturbed. Yeah. I will never be watching this movie again. Yeah. Ever, 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 ever. <laughs> I can't, can't do it. Um. So yeah, I can't, that's just too much. Um. Aronofsky was nominated in 2018 for a Razzie for the worst director uh, award for Mother. Should he have won it? I don't know what what else came out during that time frame, so I can't say <laughs> yes or no. I don't know, Matt. Do you think he should have won sure it? I'm sure if an Eddie Murphy movie came out around that time, I'm sure that yeah, would have been don't, up. <laughs> don't you dare throw throw Adam Sandler in that. I know <laughs> he made some bad movies in that time period too. Um, no, I absolutely don't think this deserves a Razzie because having a disjointed plot that focuses or, or even a disjointed script, um, no director can be protected from that. I mean, yeah, 
you could almost reference uh, maybe we'll get someday we'll get the black and white Aronofsky cut of Mother, the one that didn't end up on the editor's floor. <laughs> yeah. Right. It'll be some four hour long, just dribble. Oh, um, that's brutal. I'll watch it. Because because being a director is, is so much it's so different than like being the movie. Right. Like uh-huh. he is absolutely his stamp is all over this. And especially with um, a lot of I love the way he uses low angle versus high angle shots. Yep. Mm. Um, and I didn't I didn't really pay a ton of attention to it until uh, Requiem for a Dream. But then that made going back to the wrestler too, like just the sense of scale you get from looking up at a character that isn't looking down at you like that's looking anyway. Um, and I, I think that's a really interesting way to show emotion that shows up in Mother uh, mm-hmm. quite a few times. But the 2018 uh, Razzie nominations for Worst Director. You've got Darren Aronofsky for Mother, Michael Bay for Transformers The Last Night, James Foley for Fifty Shades Darker, Alex Kurtzman for The Mummy, which was like The Mummy reboot with Tom Cruise, who won the Razzie for Worst Director. And Tony Leondis, who won Worst Director for The Emoji Movie. Oh. It's a brutal, brutal slate of directors. I've seen a few of those, but... (laughs) That's tough. Yeah. That's tough. We'll have to do an episode someday, whenever whenever that day strikes, about the the Razzies. <laughs> I could I could get with that. Um, any other Aronofsky uh, topics, touch points? What do you want to talk about? Well, there's two movies that we haven't talked about. Pie, which we which I know I haven't seen. Ethan, have you have seen not seen either. Matt, but you have seen. What is something that you would say to our listeners about Pie? Like, if they should see it, they shouldn't see it. What made it good? What made it bad? Uh, it's an incredibly introspective character study into the mind of someone who is unbelievably smart and doesn't have the capacity socially, physically, emotionally to come to grasp with that kind of greatness. Mm. Um, it is claustrophobic in style. It's, it'll, it kind of, it, it makes you feel like you're, it's, you're itchy. You're, you're uncomfortable. You're kind of shifting. I don't want to watch that. It's not <laughs> gross, though. It's not. It's not perverted. It's not. Uh, it's not it was, overdone. It's so hmm. easy with these kinds of things to just be like, oh well, if a little creepy is eerie, a lot of creepy is scary. Like, no, a lot of creepy looks like a bunch of fake fucking blood. And I'm hmm. looking at Saw four through nine or whatever. Don't slander. Watch your mouth. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, slander. That's great. Fine. We'll do it. <laughs> We'll we'll totally come back here when Spiral comes out. We'll talk about it. Um, Pi is not an easy movie, which obviously, of course, it's not. It's an Aronofsky movie. Like they're not easy. Um, mm. But it is uh, just such a unique character study. I I really enjoy that. I, I I really do. I'd recommend it. It's in black and white. I know that's a breaker for some people. There's also not a ton of dialogue. So. Okay. It's a real visual movie. Um, Only 84 and, minutes, so it's a it's, it's a not, short one, not a long watch, yeah. but it probably feels like twice that, is my guess. Well, Requiem is an hour 40. Mm. So, and yeah. that feels tight to me, considering some of these other directors that we've talked about. I mean, come on, Scorsese, yeah. but these are not tight Hollywood movies, and Aronofsky's mm. kind of trying to keep them like that. Anyway, I yeah. recommend it. It's very good. Okay. Well, and the re- the wrestler and Black Swan are both uh like an hour ten ish long like movies. So we're looking at less than two hours for most yeah. of his movies. Um, it's now, great. okay, let's bring it home with the last movie, which is probably his well, probably his best. I don't know. Yeah. In terms of like nominations and stuff like that, um, which is Black Swan. So. I'll let you you two start it off. Black Swan. What is there to say about Black Swan? So I learned that humans can become birds <laughs> is what I learned from Black Swan. I unlike <laughs> And that's Done. it. That's where we end. I unlike you, Austin, I never I never play the sleuth. I never play the detective because I'm just too busy consuming. Mm. Um and so when we got our final scene of her dying, or one of the you know, almost the final scene of her dying um i was i was i don't know shocked but i was like i was definitely taken aback of like oh wow like okay this is intense Mm. um i think 
for me, Black Swan straddles the perfect Aronofsky line of of realism versus surrealism and the mental, like, you know, the psyche issues that we see in, a, in all of his movies. And he just, he touches it just enough or like disperses it just enough throughout the storyline to not overdo it and mm. to not like lose people where in mother you're like, Oh my God, there's a heart in the toilet. Like what the hell is happening? Yeah. Um, Black Swan is, is kind of the inverse of that. And it's, um, really enjoyable. Natalie Portman obviously wins best actress for it. Mm-hmm. Deserved? Question mark. I think it's deserved. I think it's excellent. Yeah. From my understanding is that she, so something little tiny take about her is growing up or like going into the acting realm. She actually saw that she had a youngish sounding voice. Mm-hmm. And so she trained herself to not have that voice. Um, she had just basically was like, well, I'm gonna to get teachers and stuff like that to train her to have that like a deeper voice. Oh, okay. And Darren Aronofsky was like, <laughs> no, wrong. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have a childish voice. Um, oh, so she felt like years of work that had to go back oh, and wow. had to like untrain herself to speak how she normally spoke. So, wow. Um, so good for her to go through that emotional probably like. Thing. It's probably traumatizing um, in some fashion. She also took a year of dancing to okay. to be able to do some of the moves herself um, on her own like money. Like she paid for the classes. It wasn't like part oh, of the budget wow. of the film or anything like that. And it, the, the film wasn't even like greenlit yet. She like was already oh, wow. she was attached to the film, but she's like, I'm gonna start doing this all this stuff before it's even approved to to be made. So she was gunning for the award. That was her yeah. goal was was to go big for mm-hmm. that one. Okay. Yeah. Matt, what do you think of, of Black Swan? Where does it rank on your Mount Rushmore? Are you like top, middle, or bottom? So uh it definitely is towards the top as far as um like it ranks higher on my list of good movies than it does on my list of favorite Aronofsky movies, because mm-hmm. you're right, it does have a lot more mass appeal, I think, just in the story and really in the, the telling of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, we invested really early on. Um, and with something that's a little bit more accessible, at least to my brain, which is the person trying to achieve and be the best, Versus the wrestler, for example, where he's already been the best and now he's trying to recapture glory, which, you know, I'm 32, but I like to pretend that I'm still 18. Like when somebody says, mm. hey, where's an adult? I immediately start looking around like <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit, wait, I'm the adult. That's me. Like, uh, no, no, it's not. Please. No. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, so I love that. I think um, I love the oppressive feeling of her obsession and just her her focus like that innocence that she possesses something that you mentioned just about like her voice and specifically mm-hmm. the styles of how she is uh how natalie's acting through the character give it this real like saccharine sweet innocent young girl with her own demons that we the audience get to kind of experience as they flesh themselves out you know quite literally um come on she turns into a bird right like <laughs> Duh. Yeah. It's a great, to me, it, it, it's more succinct. It's not, yep. especially at the end, I think we get a nice, it, it gets wrapped relatively nicely compared to some of the other films we've talked about today. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I think it is maybe his most complete. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's tough. I would need to stop before I, <laughs> You're not gonna put that sentence into the universe yeah, quite yet. Into a hot take like that, but it is. It is. If somebody said, "Hey, I want to watch an Aronofsky movie," yeah, or yeah. if somebody said, "Hey, I want to watch a movie," and I'm like, "I'm gonna recommend Aronofsky," this is the film I would start everyone with. Yeah, it's more digestible at, for an audience than uh, Requiem. Like, absolutely agree. Yeah, and I think it's more telling of Aronofsky than something like The Wrestler, which is a little toned down, a little different. Um, not as as directly identifiable. The fact that we can talk about Black Swan, a 2010 movie, when with with such like revere, is pretty impressive to me because 2010, a lot of us know that was a a pretty imp- impressive year for movies. You got The Social Network, Inception, Shutter Island, The Town, 
the King's Speech wins Best Picture, RIP. Like, that's a bummer. But then you got, like, True Grit, The Kids Are All Right, 127 Hours, and then you've got Black Swan. Like, it just feels like, feels pretty, like, quite an achievement to me that Black Swan is in this conversation with Natalie Portman winning an award for for something, a movie like this in that kind of a year. Feels good for me. I also look at all those movies that you had just stated and which one were like women led films. Sure. Um I I think that she was ripe for it because if you're the description that you just told me about of movies, there weren't many lead actresses in those movies. There were a lot more male driven ones. So I think it opportunity definitely there. I think that she does deserve that role because or like the 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 win based off of what I had seen last night. Um, she was able to play this very passive character that had at the very end p- flipped. Yeah. So I, I, and I think that is very difficult to do. Um, so I think it's well deserved. I also look at the, yeah. That. If, you, if you look at the other nominees, you have Annette Benning and the kids are all right. Nicole Kidman for rabbit hole, Jennifer Lawrence for winter's bone and Michelle Williams for blue Valentine. So it's kind of a, yeah, it's kind of like cinched in the bag for Natalie Portman. Yeah. But doesn't take anything away from the fact that it was a very good movie. Yeah. Very impressive. Any final thoughts on, on Aronofsky? I don't, after this week, after, um, after watching a couple of his movies and, and rethinking about Requiem and, and Black Swan, I do not plan to watch Aronofsky again for quite some time. <laughs> I think I'm good. For I your mean, own uh, happiness. <laughs> my own enjoyment, my own movie going pleasure. I think like you, Matt, I'm just, I'm going to take some walks. And if I think about Aronofsky, I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to think about it out in the peaceful sunshine. I think that's where, where I'll be. You know, you could just do what I do. With the time I start to get nervous or uncomfortable, I pause whatever I'm watching, and I rewatch the Dune trailer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that. I love that. On my top-watched video on YouTube, I literally cannot stop watching. Let's go Dune! We're Can't going wait. There. I know this isn't great. This isn't hot podcast content, but we're going to see that in fucking IMAX on opening night, all three of us. Oh I'm yeah, hundred yeah. percent, hundred percent. I'm there, and 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 I'm there for the rewatch the next morning. I'm, I'm primed <laughs> okay. and prepped. I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, well, that was our final take for our director of the month, Darren Aronofsky, uh, a director with very interesting movies. Definitely someone worth checking out. Um, let us know what you think of Darren Aronofsky at Twitter uh, or on Twitter or on Instagram or at Final Take Pod. Matt, Scott, I we greatly appreciate you being on the show. This was a wonderful conversation to have. Um, are you on social media? Do you want people to find you or do you just want to be known as, as the Final Take guest? You know what? I'm fine being the Final Take guest. I still don't have anything to promote. I'm having just a really hard time getting my uh, my ridiculous podcast ideas off the ground. That's, <laughs> I don't have any. Talking about movies is about all I got. Um, so I will just say, everybody be nice to everybody and wear a fucking mask. Love to hear it. Yeah, get vaccinated. Yeah. Love to hear it. Do it. Do it, do it. Do it for you. Do it for those around you. We've got two more episodes of the podcast left. Next week, I have no clue what we're talking about, and we're going to figure it out. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) And then our final episode, we are just going to be talking about movies that we like. Movies that we love. We're going to be ending on a happy note. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, if you want us to talk about a movie you like, toss it in the mix. Get at us on Twitter, at Final Take Pod. Do it. Do it. All right. We'll see you next week. Uh, See you later. Bye. Bye. Ciao.